Will? Good. Will? My microphone's on my tie, so that's a good start, right? <laughs> Open, if you would, to Colossians chapter 4. I'm not going to blame anyone else. I'm not going to make any excuses. But, by way of explanation, I was told at one point that you move your microphone up there, then it wouldn't get all the breaths and stuff caught on it. But, but I've since learned that if you have on a suit jacket, the collar is lower than if you have on a shirt. So it works if you have a suit jacket. It doesn't work if you have a shirt. So uh, Colossians chapter, chapter uh, 2, I'm going to begin reading though in verse, eight, or verse 28 of chapter 1 before we get into chapter 2. Verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As we get into this, I want to Note one thing that really doesn't have anything to do with our sermon tonight, but I think it's interesting. Um, I don't know if, if you picked up on it or not, but he mentions, uh, he mentions Laodicea, right? In chapter 2, verse 1, he mentions Laodicea. We know about Laodicea because of uh, the book of Revelation, right? John, in the book of Revelation, um, dicta, or Jesus dictates a letter to John that he, wrote, that he uh, writes to the, to the church in Laodicea there, in the, that opening uh, part of Revelation, chapter 2, um, where, where he's writing the seven letters. But here we see Paul mention the Laodiceans. And so Paul knew about them as well, and Paul was involved in their, in their church. If you continue reading, even toward the end of the book of Colossians, um, it's interesting because he says, uh, once, you've, you know, once they got the letters from Paul, they would read them out loud in their churches. They didn't have copies uh, to pass out to everyone. They would read them out loud in the churches. And at the end of, layout of the book of Colossians here, he says, when you've read this letter in your church, take it to the Laodiceans and have it read in their church too. And then he says, and get the, the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans and bring it back and read it in your church. So Paul knew about the Laodiceans and he was working with them. And um, I don't know if he'd ever met them or, or not, but he had, he had written a letter to them. Uh, that we don't have that letter today, but he had written a letter to them. Um, and so I think... I think that's that's neat. Um, but we're talking tonight about the about the mystery. Continuing with the series on on the mystery passages in in Paul's letters. And if you remember, uh, Paul uses this word mystery kind of in a in a technical way, in a uh, in a specialized uh, way. And 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 we're kind of um, used to that. You know, diff- different uh, careers, different different um, job sectors have specialized language that they use. Maybe words that are that are normally used in certain ways, but, but within a certain context, they're used in a, in a specialized way. Um, I remember even back in, uh, in high school when I was taking high school calculus, and, and 
there were two words, uh, differentials and integrals, that, that you will be finding in, in, uh, in, in math. And so you have, you know, normally we think of the word differentiate and we think of the word integration um, in a general way in, in, in life, how we use those two words. Uh, but within the specific context of, of, uh, of math and, and engineering and, and calculus specifically, those two words have a specialized meaning, a technical meaning. And in the same way with the way that Paul uses the word, the word mystery. It doesn't mean what we normally think of as a mystery. It's similar to that, but it doesn't mean exactly that. Um, and we might think of it more as like the word secret. In fact, I think some translations may even translate the word as, as a secret. Um, it's not a mystery that we have to try to figure out, um, like we're trying to discover what's going on um, at, at all. It, it's something that is true and has always been true um, and, and yet has, has been kind of hidden and is, is now being revealed or has has now been revealed to Paul as he's writing this, this letter. So it's a, it's a truth from long ago, um, but it's now being, being revealed, a secret from long ago, a hidden, hidden truth from long ago that is now being revealed um, to Paul. And we've looked at several of these mystery passages already uh, in the past several weeks, and, and we've seen different, different things uh, that Paul identifies as uh, the mystery or as a mystery. But today we see he, he calls the mystery Christ. Last week, Jake, uh, I think it was, preached last Sunday night, and, and, and the passage right above this um, says that the mystery is Christ in you. But here Paul says the mystery is Christ. And he says that in, that in him, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he says in whom, the end of verse 2 says God's mystery, which is Christ. And then he says in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and, and knowledge. Um, I remember being a kid and, and going to, to McDonald's. We didn't have a McDonald's in, my, in the town I lived in that was so small, but the town next to us uh, did have a McDonald's, and so we would go there sometimes and, and, uh, and eat at McDonald's, and they had the, I don't know if they had this around here uh, back in the early 80s or, or not, but we had a, in our McDonald's, we had a, a section that was for kids, and we had this like plastic tree kind of thing that was part of the wall that grew out and the limbs were like the ceiling and it had little toadstools and things for the kids to sit on and tables. I don't know if y'all had anything like that, but, but ours did. And we would, we would go there sometimes, not that often, but, but we always wanted to go there. Every time we drove by, we'd have, to, we'd have to go through that town to get to kind of the bigger town where we would go shopping and things like that. Um, and every time we drove by, it was right on the corner uh, where we had to turn. And every time we saw it and drove by, we'd always want to, to stop there, right? And um, one of the reasons, of course, is because they had the Happy Meals, uh, and the Happy Meals had the, uh, had the prizes in them, had the toys in them. Um, and I remember there being a toy one time that was this, this cardboard, and it was just, it was nothing. It was just a piece of cardboard, and it had um, different color little squigglies all over it. And it, didn't, it wasn't a maze. It looked kind of like a maze, but it wasn't a maze. Uh, but that's kind of what it looked like. Uh, but it didn't say anything, didn't mean anything. It was just a bunch of little squigglies. But then we had this, this little piece of cellophane came with it, and the cellophane was a certain specific color. And if you laid that cellophane on top of it, then you could see a message, right? Because however that worked, it blocked out some of the colors, and you could just see the other colors or, or something. I'm not sure exactly how it worked. But, but you could see a secret message written on that, on that cardboard, right? And it was there the whole time. The message was on the cardboard the whole time. It just wasn't revealed until you put that piece of cellophane on top of it, right? And, and that's kind of how, how we can think of, of this, 
mystery that Paul's talking about. It's there the whole time. But you can't see it until it's been revealed. And he says here, the way it's being revealed is through Jesus. The lens is, is Jesus. And he says that in Jesus, in this mystery, in Jesus is um, all wisdom and uh, knowledge. Or understanding, all, all understanding and, and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so I want us to, to take a few minutes tonight and, um, and think about what are some of the, what is some of the wisdom and knowledge that God has revealed to us through the lens of Jesus? What are some of the wisdom and knowledge that God has shown us in, in Christ? He says here that, that all wisdom and all knowledge is in the mystery of, of Christ, or revealed in, in Christ. And so I want to think through um, some of those, and I've, and I've written down five. I was able to think of five. Uh, we could probably come up with, with more than that. Certainly we could come up with more than that if we were to, to, uh, to talk about this together. But, but I want to I focus on these, on these five. And so number one, in Christ, the mystery of God is revealed to us. In Christ, the mystery of who God is is revealed to us. Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus reveals God to us. In, in Jesus, we see God's full, complete character. Right? If we want to know what God is like, all we have to do is open up our, our Bibles and read about what Jesus is like. If we want to know what God does, all we have to do is open up our Bibles and read about what, what Jesus does. If we want to know what God likes, all we have to do is open up our Bibles and see what, what Jesus likes. He reveals God to us. He reveals God's full character to us. In, in Jesus, we see, we see the love of God. Right? as he is even to the, to the point of him laying down his life for his brothers. We're told that there is no greater love than to give your life for, uh, for someone else, give, give your life for your brother, and we see Jesus doing that. He shows us the, the, the fullness of, of the love of God. In Jesus, we also see God's mercy. We see his mercy in, in Jesus. And, and we can think of several different situations in the life of Jesus in the Gospels where we see this, but think about the woman who's caught in adultery. We see God's mercy in, the, in that episode where Jesus is there with, with them and they begin to accuse her and, and, and Jesus begins to, to write in the sand whatever he's writing there and then he stands and, and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, okay her sin, right? He doesn't, he doesn't downplay her sin at all, but he shows her mercy. and says, I don't condemn you either. Go and, go and sin no more. We also see his mercy in, um, in, his, in his miracles and in, especially in his healings. So many times we see where, uh, where Jesus heals people out of uh, his mercy and compassion toward them. We're even told that Jesus had compassion, that he was filled with compassion, and because of that he turned to someone and, and healed them. We also see God's, we see God's grace. There are times in the New Testament, there are times in the Gospels where Jesus himself forgives people's sins. Right? This is one of, the, one of the ways, it's not the, the only way, and it's not even the best way, but it's one of the ways that, that we see the Bible telling us that Jesus is God, because Jesus does things that only God can do. Jesus forgives sins. Only God has, has the authority to forgive sins, and, and we see Jesus doing it, right? And, and we see God's grace through that as Jesus is forgiving people of, of their sins. We also see God's anger in Jesus. Jesus revealed God's anger to us. Think about the, the episode where he goes into the temple and the money changers are there, right? And they're, 
and they're making, making the, the temple into a house of thieves, a den of robbers, and, and, and Jesus uh, takes the cords and, uh, and braids them together into a whip and drives them out of the temple. We see God's anger in, in, in the life of Jesus. He reveals that to us. Um, we also see Jesus' patience. Right? And we could come up with all kinds of examples of this, but we see his patience maybe most clearly in his interactions with the disciples. And, and maybe, maybe most of all in his interactions with Peter. We see God's patience through Jesus. And then we also see God's wrath in Jesus. He reveals God's wrath to us. And if you don't think so, all you have to do is, is look at the cross, number one. The cross is all about God's wrath towards sin um, and, his, and his grace towards sinners intermingled together. But it's about his wrath towards sin. But also read Revelation and read the descriptions of Jesus coming back with the sword coming out of his mouth and uh, killing all of his enemies and there being blood in the streets uh, running like rivers from all the, from all the justice that, that's been done from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. In Jesus, we see God's wrath revealed as, as well. In fact, if we think about the most, um, maybe the most iconic, the most well-known uh, passage in the Old Testament that tells us about God, we might think of Psalm 23. It tells us about the Lord being our shepherd and how he makes us not want and how he provides for us and he provides a banquet for us there at the end and he's going to fill our cups to overflowing. All these things that, that we're told about God and then we get to the New Testament and we see that Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus says that, that that's about him. And so Jesus reveals God to us. We see the truth of who God is through the lens of of Jesus. Uh, but secondly, Jesus also reveals us to us. Jesus reveals us to us. We see ourselves um, through the lens of, of Jesus. We see the truth about ourselves through the lens of, of Jesus. We can think of Jesus as like a mirror um, that is the standard of humanity, and, and as we gaze upon him, we see his perfections, and that also causes us to see our shortcomings. We see his goodness, and we see our sinfulness, right? And some people have said that maybe Jesus is not, is not fully human because he didn't have a, a, a sin nature. He wasn't sinful, so he can't be really fully human. Um, he took on humanity, but he wasn't fully human because he didn't have a, a sin nature. But I would say that Jesus is, is more fully human even than we are because the sin nature is not something that makes us more human. The sin nature is a, uh, is, is a deprivation of, of, of humanity. So we see Jesus as the true, the true perfect humanity, and we measure ourselves against that. He reveals God to us, but he also reveals um, us to us. Thirdly, he reveals, Jesus reveals uh, the path to reconciliation. He reveals the path to reconciliation. How is it that we can be made right with God? And this is a mystery. To us looking back, because it's already been revealed to, to Paul, for us looking back, it doesn't seem this way. But this is a, is a, was a mystery from the point of Adam all the way up until, uh, until Jesus. For those several thousand years, it, that, this was a secret. This was a mystery. The plan was already there. The plan was there the whole time. The truth was there the whole time. But it hadn't been fully revealed until we get to Jesus. And so there's, there are these questions. And there's this, this mystery going on where we're trying to figure out what's happening, where you have someone like, um, we have someone like David who is an adulterer, right? We know the story of David with Bathsheba. He, he committed adultery with her, and then he had her husband murdered to try to cover up the adultery. And, and yet God says that David is a man after his own heart. 
How is it that a, an adulterer and a murderer and a conniver, someone like David, how can someone like that be a man after God's own heart? We see it in, in, in someone like Noah, right? Early on in, in the book of Genesis, Noah is referred to as a righteous man. Remember, God's going to destroy the world because of sin, but in Noah, he finds one who's righteous. Well, how can Noah be righteous? We know what happens right after the flood, right? Um, it, it must be sometime after the flood because there's enough time for a vineyard to grow. But right after the flood, the, the, the art lands and they get out and they offer sacrifice to, to God. And then the very next story that's recorded in the, in, in, in the Genesis account is the story of Noah getting drunk and exposing himself and his, and his children being involved in that, in that whole, that whole story. And, and yet God calls him righteous. How, how can that be? You got someone like Abraham. Abraham is the, is the father of faith. He's the, he's the, the, uh, the icon of, of faithfulness. He believed God. He trusted God, even when his wife wouldn't. Even when his wife laughed at him, he believed God and trusted in, in, in the promises that God had made. Abraham is the, the height of faithfulness, right? But then we see those stories, those two stories, just right after each other where he lies about who Sarah is. He lies about her. He says that, he says that, he's her, that, that she's his sister, not his wife, which is sort of true because she's his half-sister, but she made out to, or he made out to the king that she wasn't his wife and it, it would be okay for the king to, to take her. And yet Abraham is called faithful and, and, and yet he's lying to these, to these two people in these two accounts. And so we have these things happening all throughout the Old Testament and, and it brings to mind the, the question that, that comes to my mind as we think through this is, won't the judge of all the earth do right? How is it that God can pass over the sins of David and call him a man after my own heart? How is it that God can pass over the sins of, of Noah and, and, and save him and his family from the punishment of sin? How is it that God can pass over the, the sins of Abraham and, and call him faithful and, and, and call him righteous because of his faithfulness? Well, we know because we look back and we see through the lens of, of Jesus. At the time, they didn't have the, the lens. They were just looking at the little cardboard with all the squigglies on it. They didn't have the, 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 the lens of Jesus to look through and see the truth of it. But the truth is that God has not just passed over their sins. The truth is God doesn't just, just overlook their sins or turn, it, turn a blind eye to it or kind of wink at it and, 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 and let it go. But God has punished their sins. Yeah, Noah was saved from the, from the, from the flood and from the wrath of, of God being poured out against sin on earth at that time, but Noah's only saved from that because God's wrath was poured out against Jesus for the sins of Noah. David's a man after God's own heart, but only because through the work of Jesus, God has changed his heart. Abraham is a, is, is a, a man of faith, but only because of Jesus' faithfulness of going uh, to the cross on his, on his behalf. And so through the mystery of, of Jesus, through the, through the lens of Jesus, he reveals God to us, he reveals us to us. He also reveals the path to reconciliation. Fourth, he, re he reveals the path to transformation, right? The path to reconciliation we might think of like as salvation kind of outside of ourselves, kind of the objective part of salvation. How is it that we can be made right with God? How is it that we can be declared righteous with God? But he also reveals to us the, the path to transformation, the kind of inward part of salvation, the, the subjective part of salvation. How is it that we can be changed? 
How is it we can go? How is it can we? How is it that we can go from who we were to who we to who we are? Before the truth was revealed in Jesus, people thought that it was through obeying the law. The way that we transform ourselves is we have to just work really hard to try to live up to the 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 law that God had put in place. And yet we know now, looking back from the perspective of the New Testament, from the perspective of the life of Jesus, we know that the law cannot bring transformation. The law does not produce a way of, of changing us. We try to, and we try to live up to the law, but we, but we fail. And, and yet we still have the command in the Old Testament is over and over and over, we're trying to live up to the law, we're trying to do what it says, and, and we're failing and failing and failing, and, and yet we still have the commandment, be holy as I'm holy. Well, how is it that we can become holy the way that God is holy? Well, we must just try to work harder and try to do the law more and, 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 and try to do it ourselves. And, and yet the law over and over and over is proof that we can't do it ourselves. Proof that we're not able to live up to it, that we're not able to be holy as he is holy in and of our, ourselves. And then God reveals to us through the, the put the cellophane in on top of, of the law and we see that the lost purpose from the very beginning was to show us our need for someone to transform us. We can't transform ourselves. We need someone to come and transform us. We need a Savior. And we see that is, is Jesus. We need to be transformed from the inside out, not from the outside in. We need to have our heart renewed, our heart changed, that then produces a new way of life. We can't Start try to, try to work out a new way of life and help, hope that that will produce a change inside of us. It's the opposite. We need to be changed from the inside to begin with. And then that produces a new way of life on the, on the outside. We're, we're, we're told that we're a new creation in, in Jesus. We're, we're made new. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are, are, are new. And so we see that, that, that transformation happens not from the outside. Transform, transformation happens from the inside as Jesus is recreating us and taking out our old heart and giving us a new heart and, and sending the Holy Spirit to live within us. Jesus reveals to us who God is. He reveals to us who we are. He reveals the path of reconciliation. He reveals the path of transformation. And then finally, number five, he reveals the way of Correction, if you want to call it that. He reveals the way of, of correction. If you, if you still have your Bibles and you want to turn there, you can. If you want to listen, you can. But I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 3. You know the context of Genesis chapter 3. God has created the man and woman in chapters 1 and 2, created all of, all of creation in, in chapter 1, and then created the man and woman at the end of chapter 1 and, and then again in chapter 2. We're told more about that. And then in chapter 3, we know what happens. God is there with them, walking with them in the cool of the day, it says, having fellowship with, with the man and the woman in the garden. They're, they're close to him. And then uh, we know that they disobey. And, and part of that disobedience, part of the, one of the results of that disobedience, part of the, uh, the fruit of that disobedience is a, is a separation from God. At the end of chapter 3, after he's already talked to the man and the woman and the serpent about their consequences for their actions and how things are going to be different now, we read this, starting in verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, 
lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. We're only in chapter 3 of the first book of the Bible, right? The Bible has 66 books. It's a long, it's a long book. Some, I don't know how many pages, over 1,000 in most, in most Bibles, 1,200, 1,300, something like that. And we're here on page 4 in my Bible, and we're already separated from God. The plan that seems that God had put in place is already ruined. It's wrecked. It's not, it's not the way it ought to be anymore. Adam and Eve are now separated from God, and their children will be separated from God because there's a, a, a cherubim, an angel with a flaming sword there guarding the, 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 the gate so that they can't get back in to the garden where they had this fellowship with God. Is it going to be this way forever? Is there going to be a solution to this problem? Is there a way to correct this situation? Turn with me to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, read verses 2 and 3. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So the separation doesn't last forever, right? Separation doesn't last for eternity. It lasts a long time. There's a separation between us and God. Uh, you know, sin separates us from him, and that lasts for, for a long time, and we even still feel the effects of it today. We're overcoming that. The Lord is overcoming that. Jesus has overcome that. We've already talked about the path of reconciliation. It's, it, it's being overcome, but we still, we still feel that separation in some ways in some ways today, and, and, and yet in Revelation 21, we say there's coming a day when the Lord will be with his, the dwelling place of the Lord will be with his people, and we will be his people. It's not going to last that way forever. Look at, uh, look at Revelation 22, the next chapter. How is this going to take place? How is it that this reconciliation can be uh, can be completed? How is it that the plan of God can be, can be corrected? How is it that, that the separation that sin caused can be completely done away with? Look at Revelation chapter 22. We're reading verse 12. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning in the end, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. How is it that in Genesis 3 there was a flaming sword and a cherubim guarding the way back into the tree of life and now in Revelation 22 they're eating from the tree of life. They're there taking from the, from the tree of life. How is that how does that happen? Well, we know. They didn't know then. Adam and Eve didn't know. But we know because God's revealed it to us. 
through the lens of, of Jesus, Jesus has reopened those gates. Jesus has reopened that gate that was blocked there at the east of Eden so they couldn't get back in. Jesus has reopened the gate so that we may enter in and eat of the tree of life and have eternal life. In Jesus, we see the truth of who God is. We see the truth of who we are. We see the path of reconciliation. We see the path of transformation. We see the way of undoing all that sin caused at the end of chapter 22 and verse 16 we read this I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches I am the root and the descendant of David the bright morning star the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Skipping down to verse 20. And he who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Father God, we thank you so much tonight that you are good to us. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. God, we thank you that you have made a way to reconcile us to you. And Father, maybe even, even more profound than that is that you have made a way to reconcile yourself to us. Father, you've made a way to justify us and yet stay, stay just yourself. You found a way to make us holy without you becoming unholy. Father, you've shown that way to us in Jesus. You've revealed yourself to us in your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that you will be drawing us even more closely to yourself through him. Father, I pray that you would use us to be drawing others to you as well. And Father, I pray you'd help us to understand things rightly. Help us to look through the glasses of, of Jesus. And might we see with all knowledge and wisdom as your word says. Father, may you come quickly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.